All right. So um, today begins the first of the new lectionary year, the church year. We're moving into year B. We just concluded year A. Talk about that in a minute. Always begins with Advent. The Western Church lectionaries really use a three-year system going through the Gospels. And uh, the Eastern Church uses a different uh, system. They're already well into the current year, and they're in the Gospel of Luke. Um, And of course, Israel is doing its yearly reading, and they are just about two-thirds of the way through uh, Genesis. Year A is based on the Gospel of Matthew. Year B, the one we're entering in, is based on Mark and John. But I decided that we should examine the Gospel of Luke, so I began that series last week. Uh, So as we begin the celebration of Advent, the Gospel of Luke gives us a detailed account of the conceptions of John and of Jesus. Now each of the Gospels, including the book of Acts, very early in the in the chapters of those books, addresses John the Baptist. He's mentioned in all four Gospels and the book of Acts, which, as I said, I consider part of the Gospels. Um, uh, that's because there's a need to see the relationship of the Older Testament with the Newer Testament, or what we call the Hebrew Bible, because it's in Hebrew, and the Greek Scriptures, because they're written in Greek, still written from uh, uh, God's people, Israel. John's identity is as the forerunner of the Messiah in uh, each of those Gospels. And the connection is always made with John and the book of Isaiah. The voice of one Crying in the wilderness, that's how we read it, but it's not how it goes. One crying out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's why John was out in the wilderness. Uh, Make his path straight. And there is uh, an additional prophecy uh, regarding John in Malachi, where he would come in... The spirit of Elijah. We'll talk about that as we go through through the text. So all of the Gospels claim that the Law and the Prophets are being fulfilled, not replaced. If you've ever seen one of those books that children now have, and you open the book and the it pops up with all of the stuff, that's really what the Gospels are. As you open up the Torah and the Prophets, the Gospels and the Epistles come up out of that. They are based on that. They're not a replacement. And we really see that in the text that we're looking at today. So, we're going to pick up at verse 5. Some of this we've already read, so uh, I'll make some comment on it uh, and try to read it a little faster. Verse 5 through 10. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, now he's a puppet king, uh, there was a priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, so she's a Levite. Uh, Her name is Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, 
walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Really important to understand what's being said here. It's saying that both of them, not only because uh, were, were, were righteous in the sight of the Lord, does not mean they were doing the right thing. This is the righteousness of faith. They trusted and believed in the God of Israel that he would fulfill his promises made to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But in addition to that, they were blameless in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Paul talks about himself being blameless according to the Torah. He's not saying, I've never violated the Torah. This is not saying that they never violated the Torah. But when they did, they confessed it, they made the proper sacrifice, they repented and moved forward. Being blameless means that they're not incurring greater and greater sin debt with regard to God in that context. Very important notion that Luke's giving us here. He says, but they had no child. That is seen in Israel as a very, very difficult situation. Uh, because Elizabeth was barren. And now they're both advanced in years. This is really important as we see the account that's about to happen. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his, of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, remember Zacharias is a priest, that means his son will be a priest. Okay? He's in that line. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside the hour of the incense offering. Now that's 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. We don't know which it was. But we have the tabernacle kind of set up here. And so what they would do is the priest would come in to the holy place, not the holy of holies, only the high priest went there. He would go to the table of showbread where there was also incense. He would take that incense and come to the altar of incense. The one in the tabernacle was golden. And he would burn the incense on that at the time of prayer as the incense ascended to God so the prayers of the people would ascend to God. That was a great honor for him to be able to finally do this. They went through. They had to be chosen by lot. He comes in and that's exactly what he's doing. I wish I knew if it was in the 9 a.m. or the, three, the morning sacrifice or the evening sacrifice. But we're not, get, we're not given that information. Uh, so, let me get back to the text here. So it says, uh, the whole multitude was out there, right? Now, verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the, alt of the altar of incense. We know where the altar of incense was. It's right before the veil where the Holy of Holies is. He's doing that. I don't know where the angel was standing. Because there's two different perspectives of which is the right. If someone is sitting at the right hand of God, this would be where it is because God would be in this direction. But Zacharias is in this direction and it's to the right of the altar. I assume that means here. But I don't know for sure. 
I wish I knew what time of day, and I wish I, because that's the anthropologist in me that wants to know those kinds of things, right? So, an angel is standing there. Nobody's supposed to be in that place but Zacharias. And all of a sudden, there's somebody standing there, okay? Zacharias was troubled, no kidding, troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. The, the, the text says that he's like overwhelmed with fear. What, what is going on, right? And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. Wow. How long had he been praying? They're old now. They're still praying. There's a faith here. So, Zacharias uh, then, he says, you will have joy, the angel says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Of course. All the people that know Elizabeth are going to be rejoicing in there. But there's more than that. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. So, John is going to be a Nazarite. This is very similar to Samson. Samson's the most unholy, holy guy I've ever read about. Uh, John is not that way. He's, he's going to actually do it. Do this. In fact, Jesus is going to make reference to this with regard to, it doesn't matter what we do, you won't listen to us. John came neither eating nor drinking. John was strict in this stuff. And you said, he's nuts, right? And the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, comes both eating and drinking, right? And you say, a wine-bibber and a glutton. Can't win, right? There are, and you know this. Human nature, if they don't like you, will find a way to take whatever you do and make that a problem. But John will be a Nazarite in that sense. Now this is already moving him to some extent out of the priesthood and into the uh, place of being a prophet. So he says, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now he tells what John is going to do. He will turn many of the sons of Israel, not all, many of the sons of Israel, back to the Lord their God. In other words, he's going to return those who are straying back to God. Uh, he is the one who will go uh, as a forerunner before the Lord. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Notice that. In the spirit and power of Elijah. He's not Elijah. John is going to be asked. Are you Elijah? No I'm not. Right? Are you the prophet? Are you the one like Moses? No I'm not. Are you the Messiah? There's a, they're waiting for a lot of things. Right? Because the prophets have told him. And he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And the power of Elijah. For the purpose of turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness so as to make a people prepared for the Lord. 
Israel is supposed to be a people for the Lord. And that's what John is going to do. He's going to prepare them for God to give them his spirit. And he says he'll turn them back to an attitude of righteousness. Again, I believe this is that understanding of the faith of Abraham. Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed in God. It was counted to him for righteousness. He's going to bring them back to a faith in God and to an obedience in that, in that sense. Now, verse 18. Zacharias is going, okay, we've been praying a long time, right? Uh, I'm not getting any younger, and neither is Elizabeth, right? So he says, how will I know that this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You need to know our situation, right? You don't, I, maybe you don't fully get that uh, we, we've been trying and praying and trying and praying and trying and praying, and we're old now. What a response. He gets rebuked. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Listen, I'm standing here in the, in the shadow of the temple, but I stand in the real temple in the third heaven before God. I'm, I'm right there, right? I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So here, here's, here's what's going to happen. Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. I think Luke's giving us a comparison of what he's about to say with regard to Mary here. Now the people are waiting because usually burning incense doesn't take that long. There's something going on. They're waiting outside. And so it says they're waiting for Zacharias and they're wondering why he's delayed in the temple. When, she came, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And he starts making signs. Of, you know, and, and so they figure he must have seen something in there, right? Must be some kind of vision. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now he doesn't leave Jerusalem right away. It says when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. You can imagine everybody wanting to know. All the other priests. What happened? What happened? Right? And he's making signs and telling them something, but they don't get what's going on. He goes back home. And after these days, the scripture says, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace from among the people. Uh, there's a lot of speculation in the commentaries about why Elizabeth hides herself for five months. I think probably the most practical and real one is 
if she starts telling people she's pregnant, they're going to say, sure. So she secludes herself, and when she emerges, she is definitely pregnant. And that may be what's going on here in that context. So we have the foretelling of John the Baptist's birth in these first 25 chapter, uh, verses. And now we pick up in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, that means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. This is, this is unusual. The usual greeting is, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. Not the Lord is with you. That's a phrase coming out of the Older Testament, out of the prophets, right? Mary's trying to figure out what this is. And so she says, it says here that she's perplexed by this statement and wondering what kind of greeting is this? What, what is this guy? I, does she know this is an angel? I have no idea. I'd like to know that. I'd like to know what time the sacrifice was. Right? I'd like to know what side of the altar is the right side. Right? Because I don't want to be on the wrong side. And I would like to know if she knew it was an angel. Mary, did you know that that was an angel? That verse isn't in that song. So he says, don't be afraid. Angel, first thing out of an angel's mouth is always, don't be afraid. Fear not, right? You have found favor with God. And you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and will call his name Yeshua, salvation. Matthew tells us, you will call him Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins. That The word in Hebrew for salvation is Yeshua, the Lord saves. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now this is for me the most fascinating part of this text. It is very clear what's going on. The promise made to David. The Davidic covenant that is found in Samuel, is now about to happen. This child that will come from you will be the Son of God. He'll be great. He will sit on the throne of his father David over the house of Jacob. That's never happened. We sing the songs. Born is the King of Israel. We do all this stuff. I don't know how replacement theology survived the Christmas carols. Because it's very clear that this is Jewish space. Right? This is a fulfillment pop-up 
of what the prophets have said. This is not some new thing. God's not coming up with a better plan. This is the plan all along. And so he says to her, he will sit on the throne of his father David. Now we know from Paul and from the rest of the New Testament that Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He's been raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Now that one I know. He's the right hand of the Father, right? I don't know the first one, right? I'd like to know that in the time. I'd like to know if Mary knew it was an angel. Things I want to know. When I get to heaven, I think I'll know. But if not, hopefully there will be a Q&A somewhere, right? So, that's never happened. Jesus has never, ever sat on the throne of David over the house of Jacob, over Israel. That's what he's got to do. That we understand as the second coming. For Israel, that is part of the not seen. They don't see that. But I believe the church is also somewhat blinded and we can't see Israel. Somehow we just default into this replacement theology uh, that is there. Uh, not, it's never happened, but it will happen. So this stuff that we sing about now is not just singing about Bethlehem. We're singing about the Mount of Olives. Okay? We need to think. That's why Advent, it's in Christianity. Advent is really about both the comings. If you read the text, it's always the first coming and the second coming text all put together. Because that's how Israel understood it. They thought it was all one thing. And the disciples thought it was all one thing until Jesus completed part of it and then was told that he'll come back and do the rest. Not everything has been fulfilled. I always hear these people say, well, Jesus fulfilled everything. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Okay? So, Mary now asks a question. How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, I don't believe this is the same as Zacharias. When Zacharias says, how can this be... I'm old and my wife's old. Uh, we've got biblical texts that make it very clear that that's not a problem for God. Right? Particularly Abraham and, and uh, Sarah. Right? So, what, what, would you think God can't do this? I'm Gabriel. You're going to shut up for a while. Can you imagine the first five months of pregnancy and your husband can't talk to you? Yeah. <laughs> what a blessing, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but you can talk to him. <laughs> right. Okay, that's not in my notes. I'm going to leave that out. Okay. So, I want you to catch what goes on here. She asks a question. She's given an answer, not a rebuke. He says, The Holy Spirit, that Spirit of God, will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow. The word means to envelop you. And for that reason, because of the activity directly of God, that child, that holy child, shall be called the Son of God. 
So he is giving her the answer. The angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be the Son of God. This is the incarnation. That's what he's talking about. There is no doubt that the scriptures are clear that Jesus came from heaven. Okay? This is not the beginning of Jesus. It's the beginning of his incarnation, but not the beginning of him. Jesus keeps saying to them, I came down from heaven. And I'm going back to my father. All through there, he's making it clear that he came from, he's the one who came from God. And he's the one who's going back to God. And he's the one who will come again from God. This incarnation is expressed by John as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Matthew says, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Hail Mary, the Lord is with you. You are blessed among women. Now, he then tells her about Elizabeth. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe that should be mentioned more during this Advent season. We have a tendency to limit God by physical limitations, psychological limitations, uh, financial limitations. God doesn't seem to need to worry about those parameters. Nothing shall be impossible with with God. Now, Mary gives a response. And I believe the Catholics have a better understanding of this than the Protestants in this. Mary says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Mary actually says, of course the Lord can do anything, so what you just told me is going to happen. I'm on board. Now, Mary's probably 14 or 15 years old. This is a woman of faith. She makes a commitment of faith, and she is trusting that God, who sent this angel, Gabriel, who stands in his presence, Right? He doesn't have to tell her that. She's prepared to believe. So now we pick up in... Uh, where am I? 39. I, my, it looked like 19. I, time for new glasses. So Mary arose and in a hurry went to the hill country to a city of Judah. Now, where is Mary? She's in the Galilee. That's northern, up around the Sea of Galilee. Where does Elizabeth and Zacharias live? They live in Judah, down around Jerusalem. Okay? So Mary is immediately going to go down and spend time with Elizabeth. Nowhere near Joseph. And she goes to visit her cousin. And she enters the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. I'm sure she said, Shalom Alechem, or Shalom. 
And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of Holy Spirit stuff going on here, right? What's happening is, we're told something that we can't know by science. And, and Elizabeth is going to tell us, because she understands, because the Spirit has filled her as well. And she says this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She knows Mary's pregnant. And she knows what's going on. She probably knows if it was nine or three. Right? Okay. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? These people are surprised at how God does it, but they're not surprised at what God does. Okay? Behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Give me a break. Babies move, right? Particularly in the sixth month. Okay? This baby's not moving. He's responding because he's filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Luke's painting quite a picture here that sometimes we just gloss over, you know. Oh, the baby jumped. Well, no, there's John is leaping for joy. Man, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Has a lot of meaning here, right? So, she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her. You're not like my old man. <laughs> I don't think she's saying that exactly, but that's it. Zacharias wasn't sure. He's been pretty quiet since then. Uh, and here you are greeting me, the mother of my Lord, right? And you believed and trusted what God said he was going to do. So at this point, uh, Mary breaks into a uh, what what is called the Magnificat, the magnification of the Lord. I'm just going to read through this. I just want us to get a sense of it. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. And behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, I don't believe this doesn't say anything about 
Mary prophesying. Zacharias will prophesy. Mary is simply expressing praise to God. She knows the word. She's weaving what God is doing with her, with what God has done before, and seeing the fulfillment of what God... She's seeing that book pop up. And she is expressing that. Amazing. Just an amazing thing. And then, verse 56, that's our last verse for today. Mary stayed with her about three months. She's going to stay right up until the time, just before John is born. And then she's going to return. John's going to turn Israel back to God, and Jesus is going to save them. We're really on Jewish space here. So I want us to look at one verse that I think needs to be tied into these passages, and that's Galatians chapter 4. Just two verses, and then I'll be done. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law, and that we might receive the adoption of sons. Paul's not talking about the Gentiles here. We'll get to that. Right? What he's talking about is that this is a message to Israel. That God is fulfilling the promises made to Abraham. The promises made through Moses that he'd raise another uh, prophet after him. That he will send Elijah before the Lord comes. And that he will sit on the throne of David, this promised one. And... Specifically, he's going to redeem those who are under the law. The gospel is to Israel first. We are on very Jewish space. I believe there's very good evidence that Luke is Jewish. That's a side note. But it strikes me that he is very, very focused on this promise of John and this promise of Jesus, and we'll see their births next time, uh, as fulfillment or the pop-up of all that the law and the prophets have talked about. There's much for us to celebrate as we experience Advent and Hanukkah and Christmas and Epiphany. And there's much in this gospel for us to consider as we do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this time of year when we can reinforce for ourselves, for our children, and for our converts the things that you have done for Israel and for the world. He is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the whole world. And so we thank you, Lord, and worship you in that name of Yeshua, that name Jesus, that name Jesus, the name above all other names. Amen. All right, any Q&A?
Anybody know the time? Nine or three? people spell their name and concerned about spelling it right. And is this Zacharias? Right. Zachariah? Yes, that's exactly right. So, and is that just a transliteration thing? No, 